Back when I was finishing college and in my early 20s, I wrestled deeply with questions of vocation. To what kind of career could I give myself wholeheartedly? What are the most important things I could do? How can I use my gifts and passions fully? What does God want me to do with my life? In a word, what is my vocation, my calling? I still believe these are very important questions. They're worthy of grappling with early in life and thoughtfully revisiting all throughout it. What a person believes to be their first and deepest calling will impact nearly everything else about them. That's what we'll be exploring today. As we jump in, I'll mention that this episode is a bit of an exception for this podcast. Justice in the Inner Life normally takes the form of an interview, a conversation. This one is actually a Sunday morning message that I gave last Labor Day weekend at a church just outside of Washington, D.C., the Falls Church Anglican. Just like the listeners of this podcast, the Falls Church Anglican is a community full of remarkable people who do work of consequence, from the U.S. government to think tanks and media to diplomacy and ministry and other work all over the world. For these people, and for all of us who long to use our lives well, the question of our vocation is among the very most important we can ask. Justice and the Inner Life, presented by the Christian Alliance for Orphans. We'll explore what it takes to sustain a heart of justice and mercy over a lifetime. Here's your host, Jed Medefit. Your labor matters. Your job, your career, your other undertakings, whether formally called ministry or not, these are of great significance in the kingdom of God. They are all opportunities to join our good Father in His good work on earth. And wherever we align our labor with His purposes, the kingdom of God is breaking forth in that place. Your labor matters. But, and this is the critical point we'll be exploring this morning, as important as our work is, it is not your first calling. Our first and deepest calling as followers of Christ is not to any job or career or even a lifetime mission. Our first and primary calling is simply this, to grow more like Jesus every day. Everything else is secondary. And if we get that wrong, then what we think of as our vocation will go awry. It will become a burden, not a joy. And we will almost certainly do harm to others, especially those nearest to us. But when we set our primary vocation first, becoming a little more like Jesus every day, then our yoke becomes surprisingly light. And we can be sure that God will grow good fruit from our labor as well. Let's pray. Lord, please help us all to see and to feel more deeply what it means to live a called life before you. In Jesus' name, amen. Several years ago, a child was brought into the custody of Child Protective Services in the county where I lived. 
His name was Aiden. Aiden was four years old, but he could hardly walk, just, just barely like a toddler walking around. And, and as the investigators in, interacted with him, they began to realize that not only could Aiden not express himself with words, but, but he actually could, could understand almost nothing that they were saying to him. And at first, they assumed that he must have a very severe form of autism. That was their conclusion. But, but as they dug deeper, they realized there was another reason that Aiden was the way he was. That precious little boy had been left alone in a room virtually every day of his four years of life. Now, neuroscience can help us understand what was going on in that precious little boy. Because when when a baby is born, their, their brain has literally billions of neural pathways. And they're like trails in a jungle. And if they're used, then those pathways expand from, from a little trail to a path and a path to a road and a road to a highway. They become like a super highway of information flowing back and forth. But when a pathway is not used, it begins to shrink and eventually disappears. And literally every time that a mother or father engages with that child, whether it's eye contact or, or the child cries and they pick them up or, or, or they, they mirror the facial expressions back and forth, laughing or smiling or sad or, or holds them to their, their body and holds them close. Any of those acts of connections expand the pathways in the brain that enable connection. This literally hardwires a child for a lifetime of fruitful, meaningful relationships. And even more remarkably, the development of these pathways, what, it, what is called the attachment bond, that, that actually affects the health of a human being in every sphere of their life. Their intellect, their emotions, even their immune system and physical size is profoundly impacted by those relational bonds. Now at the deepest level, I think we as Christians can see that this reflects the character and nature of God himself. We believe that God is Trinity, three in one, an eternal fellowship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, continually in, in mutual deference and honor and love. And when that reality is reflected in a child's experience growing up, they begin to thrive and grow as God intended. But when it is absent, as it was for Aiden, the result is tragic. Now, thankfully, that was not the end of the story for Aiden. A loving Christian family welcomed them, him into their home through foster care. And his, his siblings there, they began to, to play with him and they would wrestle with him, they would sing to him. And his mother, Christy, she would work with him on language. She would use flashcards with the pictures. Apple, bee, tree. And, and she would literally use her fingers to help his tongue form the words. And little by little, Aiden began to grow in health. And he, he began to express himself in words. And he began to learn to walk. And, and eventually, this family welcomed him impermanently through adoption. He became part of that family. And a couple years into this, Aiden and his family, they came over to our house on a summer, summer evening. And I remember well looking out the back window and seeing Aiden in the backyard with my son Lincoln. And, and what amazed me was that Aiden was not just kind of walking normally. He was actually leaping and running and sword fighting with Lincoln. And I was just amazed because I knew the story. 
And then, and then Aiden came in a few moments later through the kitchen. He was passing through and I was scooping out ice cream for the kids. And I didn't know if he'd understand, but I said, Aiden, would you like some ice cream? And he looked up at me and he said, yes, please. <laughs> oh, just marvelous, beautiful. I would, I would suggest to you there is perhaps nothing more beautiful on earth than seeing a human soul that has been bent and twisted by the brokenness of this world slowly being brought back into the health and wholeness that God intended from the start. That is the kingdom of God breaking forth. Any time that we, we use our energy and our gifts, our time, our work, and we align that with God's purposes, the kingdom of God is breaking forth in that place. In Aiden's case, it was Christy. Single mother, never been married. She'd been on the mission field for a while and, and her grandparents got sick so she came back to, to help them and then there was a child that needed some help so, so she welcomed them in and it wasn't what she had intended but, but after a few years she had several children that were part of her family and there was a church family around her helping support that. That was the kingdom of God breaking forth. So perhaps you can see why I consider it such a privilege to be a part of this work. What I would call my vocation is to help God's people to do that kind of thing for kids like Aiden. As Sam mentioned, I serve as president of the Christian Alliance for Orphans. And through it, all of these different organizations that kind of do lots of different things, they come together in shared initiatives to, to really help equip God's people to be his first and best answer for kids that lack, lack the protection of family. I love this work. I love it because I know that God cares very deeply and personally for Aiden and for thousands and millions of kids around the world like him. Scripture talks about this continually. And I believe very much that this, this work is not just a, a, a requirement of God's people. It is most of all a revealing of God's heart, of who he really is. So you, you know, if you look at a book like Isaiah where it says, defend the cause of the fatherless. Okay, that's a clear mandate. That's a command. But you see that very same phrase right back at the very beginning of scripture in the Torah where God describes himself saying, he defends the cause of the fatherless. Psalm 68 says, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. He sets the lonely in families. That's who our father is. And so when Christians care for vulnerable children, whether through adoption, foster care, mentoring, helping orphans in other countries, supporting the, the reunification of families that have been, been broken apart, when we do that, we are just giving a small reflection of our father's heart. We are making his true nature visible to the watching world. So hopefully you can understand why I love being a part of this work. But, and here comes the big twist. As much as I love this work, as much as I believe that God has called me into it, it is not my primary vocation. And I believe that it is very important that we never see it that way. So let's dig into scripture to see why. 
So as many of you know, the word vocation comes from the Latin vocare, which means to call. As Christians, we believe that God calls his people to specific undertaking and career and tasks. Ephesians 2.10 says, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So that means that before you were even born, God envisioned certain undertaking and tasks and he, and, and he intends for you to do those things throughout the course of your life. And some of those things may be individual, specific tasks, like right after the service, you may be out there eating donuts and you notice someone that's feeling very lonely and you come up and you talk with them and you realize that they're going through a really hard time and by the way that you listen to them, and that questions you ask and how you pray for them afterwards and how next week you remember some of those things and you talk with them again. That is a specific good work that God created in advance for you to do. Some of those good works may also include, include a job that you do for five or 10 or 20 years as a lawyer or nurse or banker or caring for a spouse with Alzheimer's or teaching kindergarten. And for some, those good works may include literally an entire lifetime undertaking, like for William Wilberforce, spending decades trying to end the British slave trade. It is absolutely correct to believe that God prepared this work for us and then called us into it. But when the Bible speaks of God calling, it almost always points to something deeper than public work. The root word in scripture translated calling or to call is kaleo. Kaleo is a summons or an invitation. And when kaleo is used of him calling human beings to something, it is rarely to something that is a job or, or a career or even a mission. In a few cases it, it appears to, like when Paul describes himself as being called to be an apostle to the Gentiles. But in most cases, kaleo points to something notably different, something deeper, like roots are to trees. So let me give you a few examples. 1 Corinthians 1 says that we are called to fellowship with Christ, koinonia, deep, rich relationship with Jesus. Galatians 5 says that we are called to freedom that unbridled lightness that comes when we are not bound to false desires or the judgments of others. Colossians 3 says that we are called to peace, deep, beautiful calm of heart. 1 Thessalonians 4 says that we are called to salvation through faith. Not just as ticket into heaven, but a new life that begins now. 1 Thessalonians also says that we are called to live holy lives, set apart, not sullied or formed by the values of this world, but available fully to God. 1 Peter says that we are called to bless and even bring good to people who have harmed us. Now what do you notice about all those things? Fellowship, freedom, peace of heart, holiness, salvation, bringing good even to those who have done wrong to us, none of these point to a particular career undertaking. They are all fundamentally about our character and our way of life. 
Our reading today, Ephesians 4, uses the root of kaleo four times in just six verses. Here's how it begins. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling, kaleo, to which you have been called, kaleo. Why and how? How do we do that? How do we live fully into our kaleo? Here's Paul's answer there. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. So in this, we, we, we see and we begin to feel what it means to live a called life. Certainly, God may call us into particular jobs and undertakings at particular times over the course of our life. He will do that. But our first calling, our deepest calling, is simply this, to grow more like Jesus every day. As Paul put it in Romans, to be conformed to the image of God's Son. So this gives us a very clear sense of prioritization. Becoming like Jesus is our first and primary vocation. All other vocations are secondary. Becoming like Jesus is our permanent vocation. All other vocations are provisional. Becoming like Jesus is our root vocation. All other vocations grow as fruit of that root. So why does this matter so much? Both the calling to good works and the calling to grow more like Jesus are clearly affirmed in Scripture. Can't we just set the two side by side as equals? You may not know the Bob Pierce, the name Bob Pierce, but almost certainly you have heard of his work. You may be even alive today because of Bob. Bob's heart was first broken by suffering he saw on an evangelistic mission in Asia. So in 1950, he started a small ministry to bring food and medicine and the gospel to orphans and others in poverty in Asia. He worked relentlessly, crisscrossing the U.S. to tell, share stories, to raise funds, then traveling the world to deliver help wherever it was needed most. The name of his ministry? World Vision. It became the largest Christian aid and development organization in the world. And years later, when, when Bob had a hard time with his board, he ended up building a second organization. You've probably heard of that too, Samaritan's Purse. Through these two organizations, literally millions of people all over the world are alive today because of Bob Pierce. The results around the world were astounding. The results in Bob's home and his heart were tragic. As his three daughters grew up, Bob was on the road 250 to 300 days each year. I recently interviewed his oldest daughter, Marilee, for a little podcast I do. And Marilee is a dear, dear soul. Now in her 70s, she was born the same year as World Vision. And it is so clear that she, she deeply loved her father and still feels a deep respect for him and the legacy of his work. But she was also very transparent about the way in which she and her sisters lived every day of their childhood, perhaps every day of their whole life, with a profound sense of abandonment and grief. 
Marilee's younger sister, Sharon, put it this way in her diary. She said, I just don't understand why daddy loves all the other children of the world more than me. And Bob's wife, Lorraine, felt much the same. Even as she battled illness and depression, Bob put first his sense of calling to work out there. Their marriage ultimately ended in divorce. By just 55 years of age, Bob was a shell of a man, utterly spent, virtually nothing left to offer to God or neighbors or even his own children. When I first heard that story, I literally felt sick, disgusted, angry. I felt like, how could anyone be a hypocrite like that? That's what I thought. Now I see it differently. I see more clearly that that same seed can grow in any heart. It can grow in my heart. We can be so passionate for doing good for God and for others that our work out there becomes the largest thing in our life and so it displaces everything else. Our marriage, children, friends, family, even the health of our own soul. We can change the world and lose our soul. And by that I don't mean not going to heaven, I mean losing touch with those deepest things that matter most. Losing grip on that part of us that God intended to integrate all the parts of our lives and just seeing that disintegrate. That can be so easy. And why would we expect otherwise? I mean, the world tells us all the time that what we achieve and accomplish matter most. And that's especially true, I think, here in Washington, D.C., right? So when we suspect deep down that God is kind of saying the same thing, that his primary calling to us is some work out there, then that work will almost certainly become priority number one. And we will inevitably feel that what matters most about me is what I can accomplish. We will feel that the very success or failure of my life hinges on whether or not I can change the world. And let me be very transparent with you. It is shockingly easy, even in, in, a, in a job that is considered full-time ministry, to begin feeling that way. It is shockingly easy for me to feel that way. And let me tell you some of the things that I see growing up in my heart when I view my work as my primary vocation. Here are some of them. I find it hard to stop working, ever. I start seeing people as means rather than as ends. I cannot stand interruptions. I find it very hard to be fully present with the person I'm with. I look to technology continually to speed my productivity and also to calm me. I say that I'm doing what I'm doing for God, but a lot of it has to do with me and my reputation. I feel low-grade anxiety in almost every undertaking. Will I succeed? What will other people think if I don't? My sense of identity and value are hanging in the balance. And when I see the results I want, I am thrilled. And when I don't, I can be crushed. 
And sometimes I can literally see an image of myself with an immense weight, an entire building resting on my shoulders alone. Do you ever feel those things too? If so, it may be that you are seeing your primary vocation as your work and your productivity. Thanks be to God, I can also tell you what the opposite of those things feel like. When I really believe that my primary vocation is to grow more like Jesus, here is what I feel. I enjoy my work and I work very hard, but I can also enjoy rest and play. I view people not as means, but as the end. I tend to interpret interruptions as opportunities. I use technology, but I also set firm boundaries on the place I will let it have in my life. I still want people to like and respect me, but I sometimes get forgetful about that because I'm so caught up in hopes and joys and needs of others. And when I see the results that I'd hoped for, I'm excited and grateful, but when I don't, I know that God can use that too. So I'm contented and calm. And sometimes I can literally see an image of myself working with God in a workshop and he's at the carpenter desk. He knows what he's doing. But I'm just there to help him and to be with my father. My friends, I want more of that. I want more of that for you too. And I believe with all my heart that our good father wants that for you too. Yes, he cares about our work. It matters. But he also wants you to know that he cares much more about you and the person you are becoming than about your productivity. Your primary vocation is not your work. Your identity is not found on your business card. You are God's beloved child. Remember this, it was before, long before Jesus had even begun his public ministry that his father said over him, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And so if you are in Christ, he says that over you too, before you have done anything. He says, he says Aaron, he says, Josh, he says, Mala, you are my beloved son, my beloved daughter, and you I am well pleased. He says that before we have produced anything at all. And when we know that, and we can, we're freed to set our primary vocation primary, we can be confident, we can be very certain that everything else will follow. It will rise naturally the way that good fruit grows from healthy roots. You remember how Aiden's deep bond with Christy and his siblings transformed everything about him? His intellect, his emotions, his physical body, literally? Our bond with our heavenly father and Christ our brother will over time change everything about us too. And as Jesus promised, a good tree will produce good fruit. 
course we will stumble? Thank God for grace. But when we are growing a little more like Jesus every day, especially in in the very small things, I would say, you know, the little choices of our thought life, what we choose to do with the first 15 minutes of our day, our attentiveness to the person in front of us and to God, other little habits and small choices. When those things are growing more like Jesus, then what grows out of us, including our public vocation, will be good too. It will be very good. Jesus promised. So my friends, there is much work to be done. God has prepared many things, good things, for you and for me to do. Those things matter. But that external work is never more than our secondary calling. Our first vocation ever and always is to grow more like Jesus every day. May we feel the lightness of that yoke and see the good fruit that always grows from it when our first calling stands first in our hearts. Amen. Well, friends, I hope very much that those reflections prove meaningful for you. Honestly, they are truths I desire to remind myself of most every day. It is so easy to mix up our secondary calling with our first. But unless we get this right, we will not live well. We'll almost certainly be perennially burdened, stretched thin, swinging back and forth between insecurity and pride, our sense of identity and value always hanging in the balance. Only when we see our primary vocation clearly and set it unequivocally first can we live our other callings fully as well. As we wrap up, let me just invite you again to the CAFO 2022 Summit in Atlanta, September 28 through 30. We'll be joined by many great people, people I love and respect, Coach Tony Dungy, Dane Ortland, Heijin and Mako Fujimura, Zawadi Moro, Dr. Kurt Thompson, Jackie Hill Perry, Tog Tillman, Sandra McCracken, so many other wonderful followers of Christ from all over the U.S. and around the world. You can learn more and register at kfo.org slash summit. You've been listening to Justice and the Inner Life with Jed Menefit, a production of the Christian Alliance for Orphans. To learn more about the Alliance, visit kfo.org.